Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Good afternoon and good evening, rugby fans, and welcome to episode 48 of the DNVR Rugby Podcast. My name is Colton Strickler. I'm your host, as always. Um, before we jump into the breakdown today, I just wanted to take a second and say thank you to everybody that came out to the DNVR bar last weekend, watched some of the 2019 Rugby Town Rewind with me. Uh, There's a couple people there on Saturday. Quite a few people came on Sunday, so it was, it was fun to visit with people and uh, watch some rugby at a bar. I know we haven't had a, the chance to do that in a while, so um, it was fun to do that. And um, I appreciate everybody that came out and watched along online and uh, listened to the interviews I had with Dallin and uh, David Barry. And I, I, if you checked out my article, I hope it was somewhat informative to you and uh, helped you understand the tournament a little bit more. So I just want to say thank you to everybody that came out and supported that um, in any way possible, whether it was a like, retweet, you watched online, you read my stuff, you listened to the interview. Um, I appreciate all the support. So thank you for doing that. So with that, we'll go ahead and jump into the breakdown. Breakdowns like the weekly roundup of news, uh, rugby news around the world that we kind of talk about every week, um, and, and I feel like for the fourth, fifth, sixth week in a row, uh, it's been pretty quiet on the MLR front. You know, uh, they're still announcing signings left and right. All the different teams are hard at work. I know we talked to Sam Windsor last week. He's hard at work helping recruit, um, get some people back, and get some new people in Houston. So signings are happening left and right, but. Still no former Raptors have been signed since Sakurai Taolafo signed with Rugby United New York a couple weeks ago. Um, so, But you can count as soon as somebody does sign. I promise I'll update the former Raptor tracker as quickly as I can as soon as I see it come across the feed or as soon as I hear anything. So just keep it locked here. I would say the biggest piece of news I saw to MLR this week is that MLR announced on Wednesday that... Uh, they are going to be the title sponsor of the 15 Foundations Building the Champion Mindset Global Fundraiser. Um, so I'll read you their post. MLR is excited to be the title sponsor of the 15 Foundations Building the Champion Mindset Global Fundraiser. The goal of the virtual event is to raise money for USA Rugby's uh, women's national team as they prepare for the Rugby World Cup in 2021. Their virtual event will feature championship insight from the best of the best with Olympic athletes and World Cup winners, including... World Rugby Hall of Fame inductee Phaedra Knight, two-time FIFA World Cup champion Julie Foudy, and 1998 champion Scott Burrell, uh, 1991 Rugby World Cup champion Marion Sorensen. So that event takes place on September 18th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time, so it'll be 6.30 here in Denver. Tickets are $25. Um, you'll, turn it, you'll tune in via Zoom. Uh, you can learn more at xvf.givesmart.com. So I know the 15 Foundation is something that's popped up here in the last few months. And, uh, you know, it's just all about growing the game, particularly for women. But it just brings more exposure, shines more light on the women's program. The women's program is very competitive. They're very good. 
Um, so I would encourage you that if you're, you know, interested in supporting the women's program, interesting to hear some very interesting speakers speak on some, you know, topics that are applicable to everybody in, in their life, um, I'd recommend, you know, supporting them and, and buying a ticket because I, I know I'm looking forward to it as well. So uh, that's kind of the biggest piece of news I saw this week. Uh, that kind of wraps up our domestic news for, for the week. And so we'll move into the weekly Super Rugby update. So this weekend marks round nine of Super Rugby Australia. Uh, the weekend will kick off the Brumbies versus Western Force on Friday at 3.05 a.m. So as always, that match will be over. Uh, you'll know the result by the time this episode drops on Friday. Uh, and then the second match of the weekend, Super Rugby Australia is the Rebels versus Waratahs. That kicks off on Saturday at 3.15 a.m. So that competition's still very tight. I know if you listen to last week's show, I kind of went through some of the uh, – I went through the table. And it's still anybody's game with the exception of the force who have not won a match yet. Uh, but anybody can win the competition. So I'll make sure to follow along for these final two weeks. They'll be pretty good. And uh, as always, those matches can be streamed on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, so that kind of wraps up the Super Rugby update. Second, you know, update that we'll have for you this week is a Premiership Rugby update. So there was a few midweek Premiership matches that took place earlier this week. Now we've got some rugby that will tide us over until Monday. So uh, Sail Sharks versus Bristol Bears gets around 17 started on Saturday at 8 a.m. Got Harlequins versus Northampton Saints on Sunday at 7 a.m. Exeter Chiefs versus Worcester Warriors on Sunday at 8 a.m. Gloucester and Leicester Tigers on Sunday at 9.30 a.m. We've got London Irish for Saracens on Monday at 6 a.m. We've got Bath Rugby and Wasps on Monday at 8 a.m. So you catch London Irish and Saracens and Bath Rugby versus Wasps on Monday morning while you're getting ready for work. It'll be kind of fun to, to check that out on a Monday morning. And you can catch all those matches on NBC Sports Gold. And then finally, we've got the Pro 14 update. Um, so this week it'll be Edinburgh versus Glasgow Warriors. Uh, that kicks off round 15 of the competition on Friday, 12.35 p.m. So you can catch that at lunch. And then we've got Cardiff Blues versus Ospreys on Saturday at 10 a.m. We've got Dragons versus Scarlets on Saturday at 10.15 a.m. We've got Zebra versus Benetton play on Sunday at noon to round out the weekend. And I don't know if you listened to last week's show. I talked about that being on ESPN+. Plus. I didn't see it last week, but it's on to when I checked today. I'm recording this on a Wednesday. Uh, when I checked, it's on today. So um, make sure you go watch that this weekend. you got plenty of rugby to tide you over for the whole weekend. Um, and that's kind of that'll kind of wrap up the breakdown. Again, kind of a light week of news, um, which I don't know is a good or a bad thing. Uh, but that's the that's a breakdown. So with that, we'll go ahead and jump into the interview portion of the show. Um, I've got a really good interview with USA Rugby Hall of Famer Brian Vizard that I'm really looking forward to you all listening to. Uh, he, he's really a true like American rugby pioneer. So I'll read you some of his uh, his resume, his rugby resume, if you will. So he helped lead Ombach to five national championships and two sevens national championships, among several other championships he won. You know, playing in the Southern California. Um, competitions back in the 1980s. He played for the Eagles using the first ever World Cup in 1987, captained the team at the 1991 World Cup. He also played on the first ever uh, Rugby Sevens World Cup in 1993. He was inducted into the USA Rugby Hall of Fame in 2016, 
has really spent his life after his playing career just giving back to the game, whether it be through broadcasting or now he's been serving as the executive director on the U.S. Rugby Foundation since 2004. So he's really dedicated his life to growing the game in the United States. Um, and I really enjoyed my conversation with him. I hope you all do as well. Uh, and I guess with that inter uh, introduction, we'll go ahead and kick it to my conversation with USA Rugby Hall of Famer, Brian Vizard. All right, now welcome on to the show, USA Rugby Hall of Famer, Brian Vizard. Brian, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Colton? I'm great. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Uh, we'll just jump right into it. The same question that we ask every guest that comes on the show. First question is just, can you tell us a little bit about where you're from? Uh, yeah, I, I was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And, uh, you know, we back in the day, I mean, that was a long time ago. We had a neighborhood with a lot of kids that like sports. So it was great. We had a big backyard. Our neighbors let us use their yard, too. So we had our own little mini sports complex in the back and, and played just about every sport imaginable. So we I had a great childhood. That's awesome. I spent a little time in Grand Rapids these last few years. I really like it there. Um, but that yeah, sounds it's like, a great city. That sounds like the, the best way to grow up playing sports in the backyard. Um, I know you yeah. talked a little bit about playing all types of sports, but um, when did you start playing rugby? And I guess, was there other sports before you started playing rugby that you really took a liking to? Yeah, I, you know, I played, I played golf, I played baseball, um, but I, I think my true passion was hockey, ice hockey. I, uh, I was a big Philadelphia Flyers fan, a Broad Street Bullies fan back uh -huh. in the day when Andre Dupont and Dave Schultz were around. And um, not that I ever got in any fights, I don't think, on the rink, but uh, I did like a physical style of play. And I uh, played my high school team, was an all-city high school all uh, defenseman. Uh, so that was my kind of my major sport growing up. And um, when I was on vacation with my cousin's family, we were going down to Cedar Point, I think it was, and... Uh, we're swimming at the hotel pool and I went into the room to, to get something. And there was a weird game on TV. I think it was wide world of sports mm -hmm. for younger people. They probably don't know it, but this was like a weekly show of all these different sports around the world. And, uh, I was just fascinated by it. It was a lot of, you know, rough tackling and scoring. The fans were going crazy. And, um, you know, I found out it was rugby um didn't know anything about the sport but i, I told myself at that point and and even then watching that game thinking back on it it might have been rugby league for all i know i didn't know the difference between <laughs> league and union right but i i told myself at that point um uh, whatever came to grand rapids first rugby or lacrosse i would play it uh -huh. and uh so the year after i graduated from high school it was 1978 and i was with my girlfriend and i told her to go in the library i asked her uh, she was going to the library. I said, you know, while you're in there, could you get a couple of books on lacrosse? Because I didn't think there's anything on rugby. And she came out with just this little piece of paper. And I go, what's this? And she goes, well, there was an Uncle Sam poster in the library that said the Grand Rapids Rugby Club is forming. First practices, such and such, and here's the number to call. So I called that, and I was at the very first practice the Grand Rapids Rugby Club had at John Ball Park Zoo fields in 1978 so wow. a long long time ago yeah that's an awesome story <laughs> so yeah, then, yeah sorry it took so long no that's okay <laughs> i love i love hearing that stuff so you're at the first practice um you're playing for grand rapids what's kind of the next step because i guess the question i want to ask is this can you take us through your playing career so you start in grand rapids where does it take you from there yeah um well, the first practice, let me just go back to that. There was, yeah, eight, no there was eight, eight people that showed up, and, uh, you know, I, I didn't know anything about rugby. <laughs> and I, 
I heard the one guy who kind of organized it, the the coach, I guess he, uh, he said you, and I was fairly tall then. I was very thin though. He goes, you, you have the makings of the body for an, and I thought he said ape man, A P E. And I'm like, well, okay. You know, I didn't know anything yeah, about it. Crazy I'll play game, yeah. crazy positions, ape man. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, um, so from Grand Rapids, I played there about four or five years and I went to Michigan state for a year, uh, played there. And then, uh, I had some buddies in Grand Rapids that moved out to Monterey, California, and they were telling me how great the rugby was, and uh, it was Greg and Ed Telezan. And so I moved out to Monterey in 1984, played a season there. We did really good, and I made the Junior Pelicans back then, the Junior Northern California team. And uh, so at Monterey, we, we won the second division, Northern California, and we had the opportunity to go up to play first division, you know, against the old blues and Sacramento and the Paxos and all these great teams back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we only had about 18 guys on the Monterey squad. I mean, there was not yeah. a whole lot of, yeah. and you had to, you had to field two sides and uh, you know, they didn't want to, they didn't want to take that jump up and I don't blame them looking back yeah. on it. But, you know, at this point I was, I was playing pretty good rugby. I, and I had a mutual friend, Mike Saunders in San Diego. Um, and he contacted me and said, you want to come down and play for Rombach? So I made the move in 1985. I think it was uh, January of 85 to come down and play for Rombach. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've been here ever since. So nice. that was kind of that. Yeah. Yeah. So then uh, when does the national team come into play for you in your life? Yeah. Back, back then, I mean, first you had to make your Southern California all-star team. Uh-huh. And, well, first you had to make your San Diego County team. Back in the day, it was it was really fun. I mean, you played Southern California counties. Then, if you were selected to, you know, from that group, you played on the. You're selected for the Southern California Griffins. Mm-hmm. And then every year they had match a weekend matches between the Southern Cal team, the Northern Cal team, which you know was loaded with great players oh, yeah, back I can't then. Imagine. Uh, the Pacific Northwest and the Inland, Inland Pacific. Um, I can't even remember the name of what we called the competition. But from then, they picked the Pacific Coast team. Okay. And then if you made the Pacific Coast team, you played in the, the Interterritorials weekend, which was the best weekend of rugby. Pacific Coast played the East, the Midwest, and the West. And all great players, just a great weekend. Three games back-to-back-to-back, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So you had to be pretty fit. And yeah. – uh, so then the selectors would pick the national team from that. So it was, and that was kind of the, the way things went. And, and I made the, the, uh, I made the U S sevens team. I'm back won the first sevens national club championship in 85. Uh-huh. So from that, I made the U S sevens team that went to Hong Kong in 1986. And then I made the, um, the Grizzlies in 85 played the ITTs and I made the Eagles from that. And I played my first test match, I think this summer of 1986. Oh, wow. It was a long time ago, but I think that's what it was. So that's a lot of rugby. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it was, it was so much fun back then. And, and our, in Southern California rugby, I mean, it really, it really started to make a name for itself. You know, Northern California was known for the big rugby and, you know, back East had some real big, powerful teams, right. but Southern Cal back then had, Belmont Shore, Santa Monica, Los Angeles Rugby Club, and Ombak. And I tell you, those every game against those four teams were always battles against really right. good players. And uh, 
So it was, it was they were fun. They were great competition, and and it really got you prepared for national championships. And we were pretty fortunate with Ambeck to have a really good run for a while there. Yeah, I know you mentioned you play uh, some sevens too. Do you have a preference? Yep. Did you like playing sevens or fifteens more? Well, the thing I liked about sevens, you know, when you're on a fifteens tour, I mean, that's a lot of guys on a tour, mm. and you know, there was a good chance that you know. You know, there'd be a handful of guys going one way and another handful of guys going to a different event and doing different things. But on the sevens tour, you're pretty much all together. I mean, right. back then, I think you only had 12 guys going to Hong Kong or to a tournament. And, uh, you know, you, you stuck together and you, you you did everything together, the good times and the bad. And uh, there was just so many great times with sevens. Right, but I mean, when I think of rugby, I still think of 15s. Mm-hmm. But when I think of, you know, a lot of great times, I had you know a lot of great times in 15s. But sevens was awful, awful fun too. I I don't have a preference, but I, I loved them both equally. Yeah. But uh, you know, they're just great times all the way around for both both squads. For sure. Uh, cool. And then I think the next thing I wanted to ask you about is you played in two different World Cups. Uh, just kind of, I just want to know, it's kind of maybe a broad question, but what was playing in those World Cups like? What are some of the things that you remember about them? Um, yeah, just could you, if you could just tell us a little bit about what those World Cups sure. were like. Sure. The, the first one was the first World Cup ever in 1987. And, you know, there's a lot of guys. I'm not sure how much warning we got that this <laughs> World Cup was going to happen. Uh-huh. It just seemed like it came in out of the blue if i recall but uh, there was a lot of guys that were kind of hanging on that were older that were just trying to you know make it to that world cup and yeah. if you look at the the roster we had there, there were some older guys on that team but they were deserving to be on that squad um but that was a really good time i mean i really enjoyed if i'm being honest i really enjoyed playing with that group of guys um, ed burlingham was the captain and there was a lot of seasoned veterans on that team and myself and Mike Saunders and, you know, Higgins and Gary Hine, Barry Williams. I'm not sure if Barry was on there or not, but there's a handful of guys that were, were fairly young compared to this older group of guys. And it was just a, a real good group of guys with a lot of leadership. It taught a lot of us younger players, you know, how to, how to act on and off the field for the most right. part. Um, but it was fun being part of that first ever rugby world cup. Yeah. And, you know, whenever you line up on a field wearing the U S Jersey, I, I was born on July 4th. So I'm always patriotic oh, yeah. anyway. doesn't get but more to wear that, than that. Yeah. To wear that U S Jersey was, uh, was always an honor and to play in that first world cup and to win our first world cup match ever. That was kind of a highlight. Oh yeah. Um, and, and we played well against Australia. We got hammered. Um, but they, you know, they had a really good team with a lot of great stars and then England beat us, pretty good in our last game so i think we played three games we won one lost two but when it held our heads high because I, I you know i thought we played pretty well throughout that right and then the second one i was actually the captain of that squad um and it doesn't have the, the great memories of the first one mm-hmm. uh, we lost to italy the first time the first game out in a game we you know we probably could have won or maybe should have won and then i got uh, i got injured i think towards the end of that game and I came out, and, and my World Cup was over. Um, yeah, so that was that was a bit of a downer mm-hmm. uh, when you train so hard, and you, you know, in my case, I pretty much committed my whole life to the rugby, For and sure. uh, so that was that was a bad way to, to go out, and that was my my last test, uh, fifteens test anyway, um, was yeah. that. So that was that was harsh. Um, but then I. 
and I hadn't played sevens for a long time. And, you know, when the sevens world cup came about in 1993, I, I went out for that And at 34 years old, I made that sevens team. Yeah. So I played in the first sevens world cup, which was kind of cool too. And that was a great tour because we, again, I hope I'm not boring everybody because no. I'm going on. This is a good, this is good stuff. But we went from, and, and a lot of us were on through this whole tour. I mean, nowadays these guys do this, you know, every year. But right. back then we went to, uh, we started out in Fiji, I think, played a week in Fiji. And then I think from there we went to Canberra, Australia, played a week there. Then we went to Hong Kong for like a week or two. And then from there we went to Scotland, the first Sevens World Cup, because Melrose was the founder of Sevens Side. Mm-hmm. Um, the first World Cup Sevens was in Scotland and it was freaking cold. Yeah. And I, re- I remember the island teams. I mean, Fiji was really strong. Samoa was really strong back then. But the cold of, of Murrayfield on that weekend was, was very hard on the Islanders. It was hard on everybody, yeah. but it seemed like it really oh, can, took yeah, their I'm toll sure. on those guys. <laughs> and England, who you know are kind of apt to those conditions, yeah. um, they ended up winning the first Sevens World Cup. So it was, it was quite a... It was just a great tour that right. uh, I have a lot of memories for. And, you know, by the end of it, my legs were pretty shot. But uh, <laughs> it was great to be a part of that squad, too. Oh, I'm sure those that sounds like just so many awesome experiences. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, you touched on – born on July 4th, you said it was always an honor to wear the USA uh, jersey. So what did, what did it mean to be inducted into the USA Rugby Hall of Fame uh, back a few years ago? Yeah, that was, that was special. I mean – as I said, I, I've given my pretty much adult life to rugby, um, mm-hmm. playing it, and then it, you know being involved with it administratively and on a you know a bunch of different levels. Um, so it was it was a, it was a great honor, and I know a lot of the guys who went in before me, and I know a lot of the people are going to go in after me. Mm-hmm. So to be back in the company of all those great people who have had such an impact on the sport in this country, it was really. It was really a great honor, and you know I, I cherish it every time, you know the Hall of Fame event comes around, to, just to see old faces and, you know, kind of talk about the old times and right. to welcome in the new guys. I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, there's only about 70 people in it, I think, right now, and a few uh-huh. teams. Um, so, you know, it's still in those fairly early stages, and I know we're going to have a lot more fantastic individuals coming down the road, but to, just to be a part of it and to be inducted and, and to re-recognize, you know, for the, for your playing ability or your administrative ability. Um, it's it just, it's a, it's a great honor. Yes. That's awesome. Uh, so I know Brian, you played a lot of rugby. You just told us, you know, all these different experiences, but I was wondering if you have one or two memories that come to the top of your head, that rank up there in your favorite rugby memories. I like asking people this too, cause it, it is always so different for everybody. Some people it's a high school match, some, you know, uh, so I was just wondering if there's a couple that come to the top of your mind. You know, uh, my memory is not quite good. You know, it's between playing and broadcasting, it yeah. seems like all these games, it's like one big game and that I don't know when it was played. But uh, when the Eagles went to Wales in 1987, uh, you know, Wales was, was a pretty good rugby country back in that uh-huh. day too. And uh, we started off the tour really poorly. Uh, we lost to a couple of smaller teams like Edba Vale and Brecken, 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 I think it was. Uh-huh. And, you know, teams, people haven't even heard of. <laughs> and uh, 
you know, this was the Eagle team, and we were going to play uh, Neath, which were the Welsh Rugby Club champions. They had a great reputation, a long history of success, uh-huh. a lot of players on the national team, and they played a, a, a field called the Knoll, and it had a, a grass bank on like three quarters of it, if I recall, and then a grandstand on one side. And before we played this game, I, Fred Paley was the captain and he, he you know, and in the leadership group, they said, you know what, we got to turn this tour around. Let's have a player only meeting. And, uh, we kind of just hashed out, you know, you know, we got to get this done. We got to turn this tour around. We're, mm-hmm. we're embarrassing ourselves. And, you know, we were heavy underdogs. We didn't find this out until the next day, but we were 200 to one underdogs. Oh, we weren't going <laughs> to beat me. And from the get-go, it just seemed like we, we clicked and, you know, we, we played a very good defensive game and, you know, it was kind of typical. It rained every day we were in Wales. So we were there for like a month and it rained every single day. And uh, this was a cold, dreary day and there was a good crowd on hand. And we just, we did really well. Mark Williams had a fantastic tour, had a really good game. Mm-hmm. You know, Kevin Higgins, my back row, Mark Carlson and Jeff Peter, um, I thought we all played well. Sorgi played well in the front or in the back, uh, second row. And it was just a great team effort. And uh, we put it all together and we beat these this team. And it wasn't a, a national team. And, you know, of my 22 tests, I think we only, I think the Eagles won six of those. Yeah. And I think all those wins were against Canada and Japan throughout the years. So during my career, we didn't take any big scalps. Um, so that, that game kind of stood out. And then, yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the years we had with Ambach, uh, I mean, from 1988 to 1996, Ambach won uh, six national championships, mm-hmm. and we were probably six games away from winning nine in a row. We wow. lost in the we lost in the club championship one year. We lost in the Pacific Coast final one year and the Pacific Coast semifinal one year. Um, so um, that was a great run, too. I mean played with a lot of great players there with great coaching staff, medical staff, administration staff. I mean, that was, that was before, you know, after the old blues dynasty, then came the Ambach dynasty and there was the Belmont dynasty and yeah. the, um, Aspen dynasty. So, we, you know, we were part of one of those dynasties and to be just a member of it was just fantastic times. And, you know, have a lot of fond memories from those days. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing those with us, Brian. Yeah. That's cool stuff. So um, I want to ask you a couple of things that you've been up to since uh, your playing career has ended. So I guess the first thing is just um, how that opportunity to come on board with the Rugby Super League presented itself and what that experience was like overall. Yeah, you know, it was a, it was a startup. Um, it was kind of similar to the MLR, but uh, kind of in the amateur fashion. But a lot of, there was about, I think, 14 teams and, you know, we were winning our games and our competition for the most part, all these 14 teams pretty handily. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they weren't, you know, these top players weren't getting a lot of tough games week in and week out. Right. And so what they did was they formed the Rugby Super League and they put up the money themselves. There was no help from USA Rugby. We, you know, got our own sponsorships. Right. And it was cost sharing for travel and, you know, so we tried to make it equitable for all those teams. And I was the executive director for the first four years, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And it was a good competition. I mean, we had strong games for the most part, week in and week out, every game. And uh, um, different winners, I think, uh, throughout those early goings. And then, uh, 
you know, I kind of, after four years, I, I was kind of looking to see, well, you know, maybe I should try to do something else. So I, I left the Super League um, and it continued to run for, you know, quite a few more years, if I recall. Um, but those first four years were, were pretty fun. I mean, we got to travel a little bit. I did anyway as, as the executive director. Nice. And just kind of keeping a handle on things. We had a, we had a, I was involved with broadcasting then, so we, we broadcasted the finals. Uh, we broadcasted some of those games, if I recall. We had man of the matches and interviews. And Harp was our our sponsor back then, our league wide sponsor. So it was it was fun. It was a good experience for me, and I, I learned a lot from it, which would you know help me later in some of my other rugby things. But uh, yeah, it was a, it was a good experience for me, and I think all the teams that played uh, in it uh, enjoyed it. I know there was some you know talk that it destroyed a lot of club rugby, but you know, I'll never say anything bad about the Super League because, you know, it was groups that wanted to improve right. themselves and improve the competition. And I think we did that. So yeah. for that, I was kind of proud of. I know I've talked to people that, you know, were, have played in it or, or moved to, you know, around to play in it. And um, I've never heard anything bad about it. So, yeah, that's awesome stuff, too. Um, I know yeah. you mentioned broadcasting. I wanted to ask just how did you get into broadcasting? When was like when did that become a, a real <laughs> opportunity? And, and you're still doing it, obviously. So it was actually it was like 1993 or 1994. I was working with John Jellico, former Eagle in his trucking company okay. and I wasn't very, I wasn't very good at trucking. So I got this call out of the blue and, uh, it was this guy I'd never heard of. Um, gosh, I can't even think of his name now. Robert <laughs> Forster, maybe. Uh-huh. Anyway, he had uh, a British accent. He calls me up and he goes, uh, Brian, what are you doing next weekend? <laughs> and I go, uh, I don't know. I don't think anything. He goes, how would you like to go to Hong Kong and broadcast the Hong Kong sevens? What a call. And I go, uh, sure. Why not? (laughs) And, you know, I loved it as a player. There was nothing like Hong Kong back then. I mean, it was the greatest sevens tournament, the greatest tournament I ever taken part in. And the atmosphere was just something as a, as a player, it was special. And, you know, so I thought, you know, why not? So I, uh, I met Dennis Storr, who I know was the first U.S. coach, but I, you know, and he, he coached a little bit in the Southern Cal before my time, mm-hmm. so I didn't know Dennis very well. And, and looking back on it, that first rugby game I saw in Wired World of Sports, it might have been Dennis that was actually doing wow. the commentary for that game because I know he told me he did some Wired World, Wide World of Sports commentary. Yeah. So, so anyway, we get there, and you know, I didn't really know what was going on, but. Uh, I, I don't think I'll forget this, even though my memory fades quite a bit. Um, for the open of that Hong Kong Sevens, we're in the middle of the crowd, and Dennis's opening comments were, Brian, you've played here. I've coached here. Tell us about what we're to expect for this weekend. And, I mean, it still kind of sends chills in my yeah. down my spine when I hear Dennis. He had a great voice. Dennis was was such a good commentator. And he helped me a lot in those early years uh, of broadcasting. But um, it was such a it was a it was a great experience, as most of the broadcasting was and is. And uh, but uh, I, I won't forget. I don't think ever Dennis's opening comments yeah. about it. So that's I had no background in broadcasting. It was just you know people asked me how I got into it, and it just kind of you know fell in my lap. Yeah. And yeah. you know I guess I was good enough to do it. Of, you know, I, I never listen to myself. I I don't care to hear me talk, but uh, 
Um, you know, I, I've just, you know, fortunately it's been going on for a long time. It gets harder and harder as I go on, but I've, I've worked with some great commentators. Dave Sitton was fantastic. He's a hall of famer because of his coaching and his broadcasting, but mm -hmm. he taught me a lot and, you know, working with Dallin now. Yeah. Um, but you know, also you got to give accolades to Pat Guthrie who's kept this all going. He was the first director and producer back then and at Hong Kong and he's been going strong ever since. And Matt Brown, you know, over the last 15, 20 years, oh, yeah. he's been totally involved. And Ray Veers was another who's had a, a big input in, in my broadcasting. So all those guys uh, and Dan Power uh, to a degree as well. But uh, it's been a fun road. Saw some great rugby travel the world through broadcasting, seen some incredible games, incredible moments. And uh, yeah, it's been a joy. To, it's been a joy ride for me there. Oh, what a story. That is a definition of baptism by fire. It sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was fun though. Hell yeah. Nobody knew any better. And, and you know, we, we, they, they just tried to get an American voice in there, I think. And yeah, and I was, I was pretty glad it was me. Yeah. Thankful it was me. That's awesome. Um, all right, Brian, I wanted to ask you a couple more before we finished up here. I know we were talking about uh, the Hall of Fame a little bit earlier. I wanted to ask you just kind of what the 2020 Hall of Fame induction ceremony is going to look like. I know I had Jamie Burke on uh, back in May, and, and she was kind of, oh, yeah, we're still trying to figure it out. So I wanted to, I wanted to know if uh, you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, with it, it looked real. You know, look, it's looking really unlikely that there's going to be any kind of domestic test match rugby. We we always want to try to put it around a domestic test match or some kind of big event. But with the COVID nineteen, it's pretty much shut down rugby in the U.S. Uh, mm -hmm. domestically, and, and, and test matches are, you know, it, it's not looking pretty. So what we have decided to do, and we wanted to honor this year's class, this year, um, and we wanted to have the event this year. So what we're doing like a lot of events have done is we're going to a virtual hall of fame, which will air on Saturday night, September or November 14th, uh, 2020. And, you know, we're, we're, we're working with a production company to try to, to make it as professional as possible. Hopefully have uh, a real entertaining event. Uh, we're going to be reaching out to the rugby community to, if they have a, a message they want to give any of the class of this year or any of our special award recipients, um, you know, they can send in a tape. We're going to be looking, you know, globally around the world for any kind of messages yeah. and signs of support. And also rugby hall of famers that have already been inducted, uh, will have some video presentations, but, uh, you know, we're trying to make it as professional as, as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no substitute, especially when you're being honored as, as having at a live event, but we're hoping that sometime next year we'll be able to bring in the class of 2020 so they can say a few words um, to a live group uh, where they can, you know, get the honor they deserve. But, you know, we think this virtual hall of fame will do it justice. Mm -hmm. um, and we hopefully the inductees and award recipients will agree with that. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the way of 2022, and I know it will certainly be one that, that nobody will ever uh, forget. So You're right. It'll be yeah. historic for sure. Yeah, right? that's true, and, and hopefully we never have to do it that way again. That's what I'm thinking Yeah, and, and also one of the, uh, you know, we'll, for the Rugby Foundation, the uh, Hall of Fame is under the Rugby Foundation yeah. umbrella, which I'm the president of. That was of. my next question, actually. <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been happy to, you know, run that for the last 16 years but uh, it's a great board of directors we have a great set of governors too um and all these guys are former rugby players or and 
most of them have, have been administrative in rugby as well. So, right. you know, we're just trying to grow the game. We're a grant making organization. Uh, we're going to be sending out more releases, but over the years, you know, we've sent a bunch of kids to South Africa and New Zealand to, nice. to better themselves. We're going to continue to do that. You know, we provided over 15,000 rugby balls to, you know, probably 1500 clubs and programs, youth and high school around the country over the years. So we're going to continue to do that. Uh, another area of focus will be coaching and refereeing and health and safety. So, you know, we're, 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 we're growing, even though in this, you know, kind of a tough year, right. we continue to grow, continue to provide grants. Um, we're, you know, part of our governor group, we're involving in, in improving our website. So there's a lot of new developments on the horizon for the foundation that, you know, we're going to continue to help do our part, growing the game, getting more kids involved and, you know, helping some of those that uh, have promise to maybe reach their goal of playing for the U.S. team. So um, the, the future looks bright for the Rugby Foundation. I, I'm glad I'm a part of it. And, you know, it's just one more reason why I love this great game we, we've all been involved with. That's awesome. Um, all right, Brian, that's all the questions I had for you. So if there's anything else you'd like to, to say before we sign off, feel free. Yeah, if, if you don't mind, um, yeah, I would it. like to, you know, if anyone would like to call me or contact me about the Rugby Foundation, let me just give you my information. Uh, my email is bvizard, that's B-V-I-Z-A-R-D, at usrugbyfoundation.com. My mobile number is 619-743-6343. And if you find, want to find out a little bit more about the Rugby Foundation, uh, our email address is usrugbyfoundation.org. And for you high school seniors uh, who just graduated looking to play rugby um, in the in college in the fall, um, I know there's not probably going to be a lot of college rugby in the fall, but we're still going to award our Denali scholarships, Higgins scholarships, Vada scholarships, and O'Reilly scholarships. But our deadline is August 31st. So um, look on our website. There's a, a story there with an application, but you got to get in that in the next few days. So. Yeah. It's a, it's a, but well, I don't know if they'll even see it, hear this before. Oh, you, yeah, I guess yeah, they will. We'll if you're going to hear yeah. it. Yeah. So they'll have a couple so, of days. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, if you want to reach out to me, feel free to do so. Um, but, uh, Colton, I appreciate what you do for, to keep everybody involved with the game. And oh, thank uh, you. it's been a privilege to be on your show. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brian. I really appreciate your time. All right. My pleasure. Bye. All right, I hope everybody enjoyed that conversation with USA Rugby Hall of Famer Brian Vizard. Um, I know I certainly did. Thank you again to Brian for taking the time to chat with me. Uh, like I say, every week I wouldn't be able to do this show without the help of the guests, and I really enjoyed chatting with Brian this week, and I hope everybody that listened did as well. Um, so with that, we'll go ahead and jump into the required reading portion of the show. Uh, Wednesday, so with that, Wednesday marked the 25th anniversary of Rugby Union turning professional. It's only fitting that I assign you some required reading that touches on that history. So I've included an article from World Rugby entitled Inside the Meeting That Took Rugby Professional. Um, I'll put that in the article that houses the, the podcast. So make sure you go click on that if you're looking forward to learning about that. Um, it's a pretty cool read. It's not very long, but it touches on the, uh, takes you inside the meeting in Paris that, you know, has shaped the game for the last 25 years. So it's pretty interesting to read. I'd recommend going and checking that out. That kind of wraps up the required reading portion of the show this week. Finally, we'll wrap up the show like we do every week with the loop. You know, loops where we talk about just what we've got going on here at the NVR Rugby. I think you got some exciting guests lined up. 
I'm always scared to tease guests because uh, you never know. Something might not work out. Timing might be off, and, and I don't want to get everyone excited. But I think we've got some big guests lined up over the next few weeks. I'm looking forward to everyone checking out those interviews. Um, and then just keep it locked with us at DNVR underscore rugby on Twitter, at Quillen Strickler is my personal account. I think we should have some exciting content coming out in the next few weeks, some, some potentially exclusive content. So keep it locked here. And that does it for the show for this week, everybody. I know it's kind of a short one, but uh, some, some of them go like that. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Hope you had a great week. Hope you have a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.